0: This podcast is part of a pod course offered for ASHA CEU credit through SpeechTherapyPD.com. As part of the December to Remember sales event, SpeechTherapyPD.com is offering all pod courses for $9.99 a piece through the end of December. That's more than 35 episodes of First Bite with Michelle Dawson and The Speech Link with Char Beauchart for just $9.99 a piece. To get this discount, simply use the code JOY at checkout. SpeechTherapyPD.com is a certified ASHA CE provider. Char here. True story. I just hung up the phone with an SLP that had attended an on-site seminar. She said she loved the seminar, but she forgot to fill out her ASHA participant form. Sounds easy enough, huh? Uh-uh. The seminar was three months ago, and all the paperwork had been submitted, and ASHA doesn't take late forms. So I said, Linda you have to file an appeal with ASHA. Then she said, this is a nightmare. I drove two hours to get there, two hours to get home, and now I have to file an appeal. I felt for her. And then I said, Linda, have you ever heard of speechtherapypd.com? She said, no. I said, just get your CEUs online, girl. That's what I do. You don't have to leave home. They have over 500 hours of video. A huge variety of topics for SLPs that work with children and adults. And if you don't want to watch a video, then listen to the pod courses and get your CEUs that way. Then she said, they're pretty expensive, right? I said, uh, no. Their plans start at $89 a year, for heaven's sake. And then I said, do you want the icing on the cake? SpeechTherapyPD.com has scheduled a CEU cruise next summer to Italy and Greece. Woohoo! She said, okay, I'm looking them up right now and so should you. SpeechTherapyPD.com. Check them out. Tell your friends. You'll be glad you did. Hello, and welcome to The Speech Link, brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Shara Beauchart, speech-language pathologist, and I invite you to join us as we share practical strategies to take your therapy to the next level. We'll talk with experienced experts who have achieved extraordinary results and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. Have you ever wondered what to say that would be helpful to the parent of a child that's on the spectrum? Have you ever had to de-escalate a child who was literally bouncing off the walls? Or have you ever had a child melt down because he or she didn't win the game? Yes, most of us have, and most of us did not learn how to manage aberrant behaviors in our initial training at school. Most of us either seek counsel with our school psychologist, if we have one, or we do what seems logical, (laughs) and that doesn't always work. Well, hang on. The answers you seek are here. The title of this podcast is The Behavior Communication Connection. And boy, can we connect with this information. You're going to learn some new, really, really effective behavior strategies from an expert. Get your thinking cap on and grab your pen and paper. Here we go. My guest today is Lisa Rogers. Lisa's specialty is modifying behaviors. She's been in education for over 30 years and has worked extensively with the behavioral needs of students, especially students with special needs. Lisa was born and currently lives in San Antonio, Texas. She graduated from the University of Texas at San Antonio and Our Lady of the Lake University with degrees in early childhood education and special education. She is the Director of Educating Diverse Learners and consults with educators, general ed and special ed teachers, speech-language pathologists, students, and their families. She analyzes and provides classroom support as well as training in school districts throughout the United States, and she's a highly sought-after speaker with the Bureau of Education and Research. Her most recent publications are Visual Supports for Visual Thinkers, Practical Ideas for Students with Autism Spectrum Disorders and Other Special Education Needs. That one sounds really good. And Positive Momentum for Positive Behaviors in Young Children, Strategies for Success in School and Beyond. Ooh, that one sounds really good, too. Also, her spare time involves family activities, music, and a good movie, or a good book <laughs> and I have a feeling that spare time is at a premium with you, Lisa. you're an in yes, it is. Yes, yes, you're an in demand kind of lady, so welcome to the speech link, Lisa.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Shar. It's such a pleasure to be here when we first met uh not so long ago, we found that we had so much in common. Even though we have different um, perspectives, different roles necessarily, but still speaking the same language and having the same goals and wanting to work toward those same goals um, very, very collaboratively. So I'm excited to be here and talk about um, two topics that are very near and dear to my heart, which are both behavior, um, but communication from the communication perspective.
0: Mm -hmm. We traveled a bit together doing seminars and... I admired your, your stamina, but also we talked a little bit about behaviors and so on, and I was intrigued with your answers. So I've always wanted to work with you and do some things with you, and here we are. So I'm excited too. All right. So to start us off from your point of view, just what is the connection between communication and behavior?
1: It's a great launching pad. As we look at behavior, just looking at it from a very kind of um, objective perspective, Most people understand the ABCs of behavior as being antecedents that happen prior to the behavior, the behavior itself, whatever that may be, and then C being consequences, the thing that happens after the behavior. Often we think of consequences as needing to be punitive, but we now have a lot of wonderful research that tells us that really we want consequences to be instructive in nature, to teach what we want them to do, those replacement behaviors. So under that big umbrella of antecedents, behavior, and consequences, um, we analyze the antecedents to really get a better understanding as to the function of the behavior. Why is the behavior occurring? And that really is, I guess, the magic, if you will, of trying to change behavior. um, Because unless you understand why it's happening, it's really hard to offer any kind of uh, intervention or even preventive uh, package of strategies. And to put it kind of into a nutshell, there are four primary functions of behavior. Now, you could splice things through a little bit, but the first one is um, to get away from something, to avoid something, to escape a situation that seems to be unpleasant for whatever reason. I have to tell you that um, as I travel and go into classrooms, this may be, uh, I should start to do some tally marks as I go into classrooms. This may be one of the top, if not top two, um, causes that teachers feel the behavior is occurring. And often I'll hear the word work avoidance. Uh-huh. <laughs> we all have experienced that in our, in our own lives. You know, uh-huh. I go out to my garage and I close the door and I run away because I do not want to clean the garage. Mm-hmm. Um, for some students, they look at a, a worksheet that looks overwhelming and and that they have the same reaction. So avoidance of anything, whether it's work or something else, um, is one function. Another is to gain attention, to get somebody to pay attention to you for whatever reason, because you have a need, because you have something to convey, but that's the second one. A third one is to gain access. And this one is another pretty common thing. I want something. And when I want something, especially something that might need a basic need like water or food, <laughs> right. um, i might I might do something pretty strong to get that. And then the last one is more of an automatic reinforcement that a person's behavior is really not maintained by anything involving another person. But instead, it's reinforcing to him or her, regardless of whatever's going on around. And we find that a lot of our our children who have sensory needs fall into this category um, pretty significantly. They might want to spin. And so the spinning needs to happen. And if you try to interfere with that, you may have a behavior. So if we break it down to those four most common functions of the behavior, the reasons behind the behavior, I'm now going to add on the layer of communication or the lack thereof. So let's start with um, just escape or avoidance. If you are trying to escape or avoid a situation and you don't have the means to communicate that verbally or in any other way, actually, what behaviors might you exhibit or or what behaviors might you see in a student exhibiting? And those vary all the way from total elopement, you know, running out of the classroom, running off campus, to maybe not eloping, but doing some damage in, in that area. So throwing, hitting, screaming, spitting, all those behaviors could be in an attempt to let you know, I don't want to do this. And that's the, the, I guess the, the biggest reason I got so excited to be here to talk about this is because many times I get called in, um, There's obviously a behavior need, otherwise they wouldn't be calling me. But many, many, many times there's also a breakdown in communication and we're just trying to fix the behavior without really filling that gap, filling the void um, that is a big part of why that behavior is happening. So we have to have new lenses, I think, to look at the behavior differently and to really think about empowering through a voice, through communication, As a way to prevent the behavior, to change the behavior. So I want to give you a a live example of a young man that I had a chance to work with. And sure enough, he was eloping. He was running out of the room. And everybody thought it was because he just didn't want to do the hard stuff that they were trying to get him to do. Um, Fifth grade student, nonverbal and very fast. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So when he would elope, it would, you know, take us a while to make sure he was safe. So, a high stress kind of behavior. And everybody thought the function of that behavior was to avoid the situation. One day, after several weeks of putting in place just some low tech kinds of communication supports, a picture exchange, and he was very successful very quickly. He understood that if I want this, I get this by giving you a picture. And he caught on very, very quickly. And so, we started to create a little bit of a vocabulary for him to start to asked for things that he needed and, and we thought he wanted. And we also put on their, um, restroom. One day he started to run out of the classroom. We all went into, oh, let's go, you know, get our student mode, uh, make sure he's safe. And before he got to the door, he stopped himself and he turned around, he went to his book, his communication system that they were in the, you know, early stages of, of implementation. Mm -hmm. And he pulled the picture of restroom. Wow. And he handed it to the teacher and the teacher had tears in her eyes because, you know, after we, we talked about it later, she said, how many times had he run out of the room to go to the restroom? And we pulled him back. How many times maybe to go get some water at the water fountain? We were pulling him back. And so it changed how they saw the behavior and and really we shifted the focus so much to communication and to empowering him and to making sure that he had a way to tell us what he needed, what he wanted, and eventually what he thought and how he felt um, through an aided communication system.
0: Yes. And he was in fifth grade Mm -hmm. and... It took us that long to figure out that he actually was not acting out, but actually following through on a need that he had. And he didn't realize how to share that need with you.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I could tell you probably his story in different versions for any age group that I've ever worked with all the way through high school. And in high school, we have the same epiphany and we go, oh, my gosh. This whole time he was just wanting a hug or this whole time he needed some water, you know that kind yeah. of thing so um so yeah it, it is a little um startling and overwhelming to think of the the responsibility that we have to make sure that communication is a priority and and I say this carefully because I am an educator, I'm a special educator. I know how important it is to learn things, but I have come to a place in my career. Where I, I value communication above all other things. I mean, you know, being able to count money tell time, are, those are wonderful skills. But if you can't communicate your basic wants and needs, um, I think those are not as necessary and, and important in, in terms of a fulfilled life and in terms of um, having your environment to be able to respond to you in a way that really provides dignity um, for who you are. Oh,
0: good thoughts. Now, the nonverbal child, low verbal child that escaped, (laughs) you know, and had the behaviors, the observable behaviors. What about the child that escapes inwardly and is extremely quiet? And you don't know exactly what's going on inside, but
1: what do you do with that child? And so, as we look at just the, the broad continuum of student needs and the diversity, uh, we have to have as many different tools in our toolbox uh, to be able to support them in, in whatever way. So um, I know that there have been some handouts provided as a result of of our working together. And one of the things that I provided was really to address this issue. And um, some people call them emotion scripts, scripts, scripts. Um, I put an example of superheroes because one of the things that I do want to really emphasize is the importance of incorporating student interests to connect, to make the strategy more meaningful, more powerful, more effective. Um, But also for those students who are hard, who have inwardly shut down and we want to kind of spark them in a way that is meaningful for them. And so anytime you can sprinkle an interest into the strategy, into the conversation, we tend to build a bridge, a connection with with the student. And so the one that I provided just happens to have superheroes because obviously a student that I worked with likes superheroes. And we have some speech bubbles. And with the speech bubbles, they're offered an opportunity, depending upon their level and their abilities, of course, to either draw a picture or to write out words. And so, for instance, the one that I provided says sad, angry, and worried. Well, you look like you might have a need to tell me something right now. Which of these most describes you? And you can obviously vary them to be happy or to be, you know, you, you can vary the, the emotions. But just point. You don't have to say a word. Because often, you know, especially when students are verbal, we tell them, use your words. And which is absolutely what we want to do. However, even in our most stressful moments, our words are sometimes harder to retrieve and to use and to be very articulate. And we we sometimes uh, struggle with the verbal process when we become stressed. So if they're already in stress, we want to give them, if you will, a little bit of a, a safety net, a, a life jacket here. Uh, I'm trying to help you come out of this. Um, but let's do it in a way that you can give me something. And I have been so, um, amazed at some of the things that they draw or write because it tells me something that I never would have known. And it, and it's probably something that they could not have put into words necessarily, but because they were able to simply draw or write, it was a medium that they were comfortable with. So I, I offer emotion scripts as just one example of how we can connect with those students who are inwardly eloping, if you will, um, to draw them out.
0: Yes. That page that you're talking about is page seven in the handout. And it has the three superheroes with the heart in the middle. And it says, I am feeling. And then you have a choice of sad, angry, worried. And then it has the speech bubble there. Maybe give them some options and uh, verbally work on it that way. Or I love that art piece where they draw it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. So you would just get another piece of paper, or they would draw it on here in this in this circle, or
1: yes, I'm a big fan of lamination because then we can just you know keep reusing the same things over and over. Um, and I've also started to learn that I don't always have all the possible feelings or possible ideas, so I, I've, I've tried to uh, always add in like an, an other. Just box and say, Here, is there something else that I haven't thought of that you might be feeling? Ah. And let them go ahead and fill that in. So, yeah,
0: makes sense. Very good. Well, thank you for this handout, too. Um, Did you want to talk about any of the others that you have here? Um, You do have a lot of superheroes, those are totally fun. You've got Star Wars here and (laughs) Batman, and (laughs) you got them all. So, like the page one, it says choices, computer, drawing, or painting. And then it has First, second, third, and then next. Is that sort of a sequence of what we're going to do or what is that one? Choices?
1: Yes. So here we have um, a checklist. Often in our own lives, we have checklists to help us get better organized. And we find that many of our students, um, not just with communication needs, but just in general, And I'm talking general ed students, special ed students, all students have difficulties with organization. Their executive functioning skills are still developing. So often when we see, again, the behavior, I'm going to now make a reference to another young lady who actually, um, I witnessed this one instance, she was so upset about having to do speech therapy instead of what she wanted to do that she pretty much, and she was a fourth grade, nice size young lady, yes. <laughs> stood on a table and kind of lunged at the speech therapist to, you know, let her know that she would rather do something else. Oh. So, um, what can we do to deal with some of those big behaviors? Cause the speech therapy, said so we can't even begin speech therapy when we've got these behaviors surrounding the fact that she doesn't want to stop doing what she's doing. Right. So we created, um, two things for her. One is schedule, um, a very clear, visual schedule for the day. And we let her know when the speech therapist was coming. So we had to get better in terms of our collaboration, our not just popping in and say, okay, I'm ready for therapy, but really when are you coming in? (laughs) How can we prep her kind of thing? Mm -hmm. We need to know. And then um, because the student was doing very well with the checklist throughout the day. So for instance, if you see the checklist, it could be for math. What are we going to do in math today? Well, we're going to do some kind of opening activity together as a whole group. Then we're going to do a worksheet. Then we're going to do a math game. And then next is you get to pick what you want to do after that. And that's where the choice board comes into play because it can really provide an immediate motivator to help get through something that they may not be thrilled to do, like math Mm -hmm. um, or speech therapy or anything like that. So we were having success with her throughout the day. And so we said, you know what? Let's go ahead and make sure that speech therapy can go as smoothly as possible by preventing her anger, her aggression, by not only priming her with the the visual schedule, but also giving her a breakdown of what we're going to do in speech therapy. Because a speech therapist often knows exactly what she's going to do or what he's going to do in speech therapy. Our students come either into their setting or, you know, they come to the classroom but they're usually kind of, okay, so what are we doing today? So we find that the more we can break down into smaller chunks what the expectations are, what the activities are going to be, the more a student can self-regulate so that they can go, okay, I may not be thrilled about this, but I'm not going to lunge across the table and choke you anymore because I know that I can have a choice of some of my preferred activities at the end. Mm-hmm. And it, it has just changed so many situations i could go on and on about just this one simple strategy of breaking it down into smaller chunks doing it visually so that they have a way to check things off when they're done and having an, an interest sprinkled throughout the strategy. Mm-hmm. It's one of my faves. I use it all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, it sounds excellent. It also sounds like it's something that is done collaboratively with the teacher and the therapist or maybe the the OT or whoever else is involved. I'm thinking that, you know, everyone could get together and come up with, you know, a couple of different checklists so that everybody's on the same page.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I know that Time is always an issue. I know that everybody's running every direction, getting what they need done, but the value of what comes out of just a, even a short 10 minute, you know, five minute, oh my gosh, I had no idea that she loved this, or I had no idea that they were, you were working on this. The more we can talk to each other, either face-to-face, email, the better everybody is, and especially that student.
0: Definitely. Well, let's stay on the speech language pathologist. And as you know, that a lot of us do pull out mm-hmm. and we have small groups, maybe two, three, four, five children at a time, a variety of ages, a varieties of disabilities, cognitive levels, etc. Do you have suggestions that the speech language pathologist can do in the group setting? And in fact, let me narrow it down a little bit for you sometimes children can be very disruptive. Mm -hmm. They're not in the classroom setting. They're in a small group setting, so they feel very comfortable. And I'm going to say they feel more comfortable to be more disruptive. And I want them to feel comfortable communicating, but sometimes it can be at the detriment of other students in the group. (laughs) So how do you rein that in or channel it? When you have a child that just wants to be the star of the show, or maybe a child that gets upset because he didn't win the game or she didn't win the game, Mm -hmm. what can we do as speech language pathologists to kind of channel those behaviors?
1: Absolutely. And so I I want to just go back for just one second to uh, the beginning of our conversation with really trying to figure out the function of the behavior. Mm -hmm. I mean, is it where is it coming from because that that'll help us to know how to um rechannel that energy or to um help them have a replacement. So given that I have just a few um examples or ideas that I'd like to share with you. One that I've used uh quite a bit for lots of different reasons in a lot of different settings is uh the five question strategy where you have a hand um and I have actually have it you know drawn out there's a hand And every time a a question is asked, you check off one of the fingers or you can actually um, laminate it and then pull down the fingers, you know, as to make it be more interactive for the younger students. And what it does is it lets them know that during this time or whatever number of minutes that we have together, um, everybody will be given a chance to ask so many questions when those questions are done, then we will have to wait until tomorrow or the next therapy, whatever, for, to get our next set of questions. And at first it may take a little reminder, a little bit of, you know, reinforcement, but it's amazing to see students actually kind of like you see them look up to the sky and think, hmm, do I really want to use my last finger on this question? Or do I want to save it? It promotes self-regulation, but also we get control by giving control of something that, Somebody told me a long time ago who's way wiser than I am. Um, but I do find that that is true of all of us. Uh, we all need some control. and But setting limits to that helps a, a student uh, rise to the level that we, we need them to rise to. So I, I love using that strategy. You, you can do different versions of it, of course, you know, little tickets where they have so many and and then you can even turn it into a reinforcement that if you didn't use them all by at the end of our session, you get blah blah blah, you know, or you get more time in the classroom on the computer. So, so you can really reinforce um, their self regulation with that.
0: Hey, busy SLP, Shar Boshart here. Here's a tip from me to you. Every week, become a lot more informed. Sign up for Therapy Matters at SharBoShart.com. It's free. Learn our tick and language tips and techniques and tons of ideas for making your school therapy life easier and more effective. I've been a therapist for 30 plus years and I love to share what I've learned. Sign up for Therapy Matters, read it or listen to it at com. You'll be glad you did because the therapy that you do matters. Sign up now. Okay, so let me just clarify. I'm trying to visualize a therapy session here. And, you know, it's Susie Q's turn. And yet, Billy over here or Mary wants to jump in and, you know, say something derogatory that, oh, you know, she isn't going to get it. And I know the answer. So, do we then take one of the tickets because he spoke out of turn? Is that kind of what you're saying? Or am I missing it?
1: Okay. That's a, good, that's a good point of clarification, yeah.
0: Yeah, he's not asking a question. He's interrupting. Perfect.
1: So that goes back to the function. If, is it something that he's really seeking information? Well, that's, that's when that strategy is most appropriate. If it's more uh, interrupting or even saying derogatory things you know, that we definitely don't want to uh, allow or encourage, Right. there's a different strategy for that, and, and that uh, may be a T-chart. A T chart is if you can just imagine, you know, a T, where on the left hand side you um, identify the things that we really don't want in our classroom, so the the negatives, if you will. So comments like what? What would be some not acceptable comments? And go ahead and have an activity clarify those. On the right hand side, we say so. Instead of that, what are some things that we can say that are going to help us to take care of our friends? To, you know. Be nice and friendly the way we want to be. And so you clarify those. So anytime he does have something that is truly disrespectful or disparaging, that we say, oh, that sounds like something, which side would that go on, do you think? And so we use it as a teaching moment to to let them have feedback. We let them know it's a consequence. It gives them feedback, but feedback that then shapes it into a preferred comment, something that is more acceptable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's a teacher.
0: I like that. Good. So going back, what do we do with the poor sport? The kid that lost the game. Yeah, I she shouldn't have won. He shouldn't have won. I should have won the game.
1: Yes. ah, oh, those poor sports, I tell you. Of course. I felt that about the lottery last night myself. So, so I get it, yeah. <laughs> A couple of things I think um, we can offer, and many folks are very familiar with social stories. Uh, Carol Gray has originated that uh, technique or that strategy for many years down almost uh, done so many books you know has just done such a great deal in this area to empower people to know how to do that better and in the social story category um, we can teach pretty much any kind of social skill or any scenario that needs some feedback the way we do it though and and I've really tried hard to stay true to her, um, her rules of writing a social story, a true social story or a narrative. And that is to try to, as much as possible, give the perspective of why this is, you know, needing to be different without really drawing attention to that this is a bad thing. So the perspective of it, you don't want to hurt other people's feelings or, um as we try to, you know, be good friends, to to phrase it in positive terms, but to also let them know here are the things that we do. So the replacement behaviors go in the story. And I have found them to be very powerful as teaching tools, um, in addition to video modeling, um, taking videos of how do we talk to each other. And I love it, not only as a, a way to teach better social skills and behaviors, but also to give kids a sense of of feedback that really empowers them and makes them feel more confident. So video modeling and social stories I have found to be very effective in shaping behaviors that have a, a social element to them, but really turn into behaviors that we need to to harness and, and re-channel.
0: Okay. So then we've identified that there's one or two kids in the group that have that difficulty and they just don't like it when other kids win the game Mm -hmm. and we Mm -hmm. can do a social story on it so that we're addressing it in a broad way. What would be a more specific at that moment in time what could we say to that child? What do we say to the child that did win? Because we don't want to take away the joy of that child winning the activity or whatever, the game. What do we do at that moment in time? What are some good things to say?
1: So I'm going to add one more strategy and then I'll talk about how we, how we use our language to connect with that. Um, if we've established rules, for our time together. Often you'll have classroom rules, but we can have rules or expectations of how we're gonna operate. One uh it's called keychain rules because they're smaller personal versions, not just something posted on the wall um that's a little far and distant, but personal keychain rules. And if we start before we even and because often if you think about it i mean we we see a lot of children struggle with the whole idea of losing and not being first in line and whatever it is that they feel a need for we we see that a lot just in across the board but if we can help them right before the game starts not wait until they lost we know they were going to have a problem with it before it starts let's before we play this game one of us is probably going to be the winner or maybe two. I don't know how the game is good played, <laughs> but there'll probably be somebody who isn't the winner. It doesn't mean that they didn't have fun. So are they a winner in a different way? So we, we'd set it up so that the whole word of loser is kind of pulled away or, or thought of in a different way, but that um, but that we just set up the stage a little bit to help them when that moment does come where they did not win that we give them things that they can do. So in keychain rules we would offer um just reminders. If I if I win a game, I make sure I congratulate all my friends for playing with me. If I lose the game, I congratulate the winner for being, you know, the winner this time. Um so the rules are things that are reminders of what we can do. Um, in those moments when, you know, we might have some stress.
0: Makes total sense. It's kind of like raising kids. Yeah, kind of like that, yeah. Kind of is, yeah. You give them all that information up front so that when they do it or they don't do it, you have something to fall back on. Yes.
1: And then there's really another moment that we have an opportunity when they do the thing, even though it may be like (laughs) half-heartedly, that we make sure that we provide that reinforcement. We now know that when we reinforce students in a ratio of four to five to one, four to five positive for everyone, negative or corrective feedback, we tend to boost them up. We build positive momentum towards positive behavior. And uh, so we need to make sure that we don't forget about those opportunities to, to really build up them in, in other ways.
0: Yes. And, you know, that makes so much sense on a broad scale with just, sharing with the kids the types of behaviors that you expect to see in therapy, not just at the end of the game, mm-hmm. but to talk about those behaviors prior to therapy.
1: Oh, absolutely. And so to, to piggyback on this concept of teaching what we want them to do, um, because you made a reference to sometimes kids don't share well in their, in their group, we can create lessons on sharing through videos, through social stories, but also just through activities. And I know many, I've seen many speech therapists, as well as teachers do this very artfully and very creatively, but um, it can just take on a whole different feel when we actually stop and practice sharing and we make it a part of our our lesson. And often I've seen teachers use a sharing cube where on each side of the cube, there's a picture or a word of something different. So like uh, crayons, a book, a smile, um, high five. And so as they roll the cube, that person then has to share whatever it is that came up on, on the cube. And so you have your props and, you know, but you don't need much for a smile. So you just practice sharing a smile, that kind of thing. And so we practice it. And that's what sharing feels like, because for some students, they don't have the mechanisms yet that have helped them to understand what that feels like. Their, their first go-to is to pull the thing out of somebody else's hand or to yank it away or, you know, to react in, in more um, aggressive ways instead of sharing nicely. So, um, so, yeah, sharing cubes can be a fun way to have a lesson to actually practice and teach it when we're nice and calm, and then we can reinforce it when we do it in the moment.
0: Wow. Okay. Do you make that yourself, or is there some place we can access that?
1: You know, I've seen different versions, so many different places. Of course, everybody's you know finding the the wonderful treasure trove on Pinterest, right? Um, I'm sure if you just do a quick Google for sharing cube, I've I've seen teachers actually get a cube and just paste on pictures of things, different ideas, um, instead of having to make their own little little thing.
0: I really like that. I would do that definitely a couple of other questions too let's talk about the parents what can we do to work with the parents and as far as behaviors and communications and so on because a lot of times and if we have more involved children children with autism and so on they need some help as well what can we share with
1: them everything and anything <laughs> um that there's my answer yes now th- this is again another prong of this whole conversation because we come in and out of their lives and these families are their rock forever and ever. Mm -hmm. And so they often have the keys to unlocking some of the, the biggest struggles. Um, but we don't know that. And they don't know that until we have conversations and really, um, have meaningful conversations though, about where they're at, what their needs are and do it in a way that is, is sincerely and genuinely non-judgmental. Often I find that families put up sometimes some guards um, because they, they don't want to be perceived as not doing the right thing, even though they might be struggling to know what that right thing is. I think that's true for all all parents. We're all trying to do the right thing and, and also figuring out along, along the way. But it gets even more complicated when there's um, a special need involved, when there's something that no parent would know just coming into to the game, um, but they're having to learn along the way. So I find that first and foremost, being non-judgmental and asking more instead of telling at first. Really finding out what their their needs are, what their struggles are, and then starting to build bridges with successful things that that we have found to work at school. I cannot tell you how many times we have a strategy that we go, huh, we had no I'll give you one quick example. Um, in schools, we often will use visual cues to give um a support to a verbal directive. So a positive behavior flipbook might be one example of how we use those visual cues. So I had a, a kindergarten teacher who was using her flip book in her kindergarten classroom. One of the young students uh, was on the spectrum, and he was responding very well to the visuals when she would say, "Let's time to sit down," she would you know, hold her circle time, little visual, and he would sit down where he was supposed to. And he was responding really positively. When we met with mom, um, and we at, we shared the successes that we were having, uh, let her know uh, some of the next things that we were working toward. We asked her what some of her successes were and what some of her struggles were. And she shared one with us that we would never would have known. And it was that when they went to restaurants, He's a lot like me. He does not like to wait for his food (laughs) (laughs) too long, Mm. except I don't throw my fork across the the restaurant. And um, that's the big difference. So he would get upset. The food wasn't there as quickly as he thought it should be starting to go into meltdown mode, even though he's a verbal child and they just couldn't reason with him. And often when they were having to leave restaurants without their, their meals because of the behavior escalating so significantly and so quickly, And we said, you know, it's kind of crazy, but take, take one of these flip books with you to the restaurant. And we have a weight icon, the hand, you know, and the weight underneath it, um, flip it to this page and just see if it'll help him to be able to wait until his food gets there. And and the mom looked at us like we were a little off (laughs) because she said, um, no, yeah. She goes, he, he understands me. He, he, he can hear me. He knows what I'm saying. He just doesn't want to wait. And I said, I understand you and and this may not work, but what have we got to lose at this point, you know? Right. And so uh, she said, you're right. So she went ahead and she took it. And the, the next week when she came back to the school, she asked um, how many more of those that we could make for her, for her family, because <laughs> um, it was so immediately effective and successful that they could stay for their meal this was and she said it was so amazing because she she said i didn't even have to keep repeating myself i just opened it up to that page put it in front of him and he just kept looking at it it was like it gave him some comfort to know okay that's what we're doing right now we're waiting because waiting when you think about it's such an abstract concept we say wait but what does that mean yeah what do i do what do you know what do i do while i wait And so um, it helped him to know, oh, okay, it is coming. He had the hand there. And um, it's something that's simple that changed their lives pretty significantly. And then we just kept going back and forth. Once she had that um, tool in her toolbox, then she really wanted more. She became hungry for, so what else? And we wound up, the staff wound up doing individual schedules at home, uh, because they were having other rough spots once she started to share. And, and so I think the marriage between school and home is so important, but it's also difficult. It's difficult to navigate because families are going from year to year, having to start all over again with the whole new group of teachers, you know, possibly speech therapists, OTs, PTs, they're having to reignite these conversations and tell their story over and over again. And it can it can be exhausting and it can be energy depleting. And um, I think we just need to build them up as much as possible and be ready to support them wherever they're at.
0: Yes. I mentioned your book earlier, Visual Supports for Visual Thinkers, Practical Ideas for Students with Autism.
1: Yes, it's an amazing book.
0: <laughs> yes, if you say so yourself.
1: I would, yes.
0: Is that kind of what you were referring to with that little guy with the restaurant issues? Is that the level that you're talking about? Absolutely, yes. Okay, so there's lots of resources in there Mm -hmm. like that.
1: Yes, many.
0: Good. All right. Tell us about some of them.
1: Well, as we think about visual supports, I mean, we could go all the way from something as simple as a first-then board, which many educators and speech pathologists already use and are or knowledgeable about, all the way to... I'm sorry, I I missed it.
0: A what board? A first-then board. Oh, a first-then. Okay. First this, then that. Gotcha. Okay, I'm sorry. I just didn't understand it.
1: First we're going to do this, and then that. Yeah. Um, To individual schedules, to all the things that we've been talking about, except taking it and modifying it for different levels. So one strategy that we haven't talked about yet, I'll kind of dovetail into, is a feelings chart. And a feelings chart in a visual format will allow a student or support a student to let us know where they're at in terms of their level of frustration, uh, their escalation. But then the most important part of that tool is to give them ways to manage that. How do I cope? If I'm on a scale of one to five, if I'm at a three, I really want to do something now before I get to a four or five when it becomes really hard to pull myself together. But what is that thing? And that's the the power of that strategy is to give them de-escalation strategies that are actually going to help them. And there's we we have a lot of research that tells us the brain is a very complex thing. Um but we have research that tells us that there are main categories that help us to calm down and to de-escalate. And we all have something that we do when we get upset and it usually falls into one of these three categories and that is gross motor activity, which is why some people like to go to the gym at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day to start their day off well, um, because that gross motor activity is calming and, and kind of gives them a refreshed feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, another category is a simple repetitive task, something that doesn't require a lot of brain power, but I do it kind of over and over until I do feel relaxed and calm. I fall into this category because when I get a little overwhelmed or frustrated or upset, I tend to clean my house like a pretty crazy woman. (laughs) So um, washing dishes, sweeping, that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. those are simple, repetitive tasks. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but often you'll see a lot of those coloring books that are geared toward adults these days in bookstores. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's because we we'd like a simple repetitive task to to calm down with ourselves. So that's the second category and the third one is anybody who loves a massage knows that soothing sensory experiences can really really calm the inside of you in a, in a wonderful way. The the hard part about all of these is that for instance let's say soothing sensory what might be soothing for you might actually be agitating to somebody else. So some folks really do not like a massage. Other folks love a massage. Right. But then there are other things in that category that they may gravitate toward, like music. Music may be soothing for them, um, but again, depending upon the type of music. So the feelings chart, we I go over in the book quite a bit um, because it is one of the key ways to bridge communication. Tell me where you're at. If you can't use your words, it's okay. And that's something else that I find, not just speech paths, not just teachers, not just parents. All of us will often say when we start to see a child fall apart, for lack of a better way of putting it, use your words. Just use your words. At that moment, when they're falling apart, they may not be able to use their words, even though they have words, even though they are verbal. And that's when we really want to get in there and support them and and bridge that. As we talked about earlier with the emotion scripts, we do the same thing with the feelings chart. It looks like you're at a three. Are you at a three? And I've had kids actually bump it up and go, no, I'm at a four. (laughs) Oh, wow. We're we're worse than I thought we were. So (laughs) let's sit down, let's do something. To bring us back, yeah, yeah, and vice versa, you know.
0: Yeah, rather than, okay, honey, I want you to try and formulate your thoughts here while you're jumping off the desk. Yeah, that's not going to happen. My gosh, well, this is great. I do have one last question for you. Mm -hmm. Do you have an instance or a situation that stands out in your mind? Maybe it was in a classroom or a small group or somewhere along the line in your career that just was amazing to you
1: and you had some amazing results. I'm seeing different kids' faces pop up in my head right now. Yes. Can you narrow down to one? Is that possible for you? This young man uh, that I'm thinking about right now, and really his story is similar to many other stories, um, but I'm going to focus on him because there's so many little examples and so many moments that he has taught us. And, um, he's now a young man, so he's turning 20 and I've had the opportunity to know him ever since he was much younger in elementary school. So he is a young man who uh, is verbal. He does have words. However, he's exactly the kind of student that I just described. When he's starting to unravel, those words do not come out. The, the fist comes out, the, Um, the kicking of the wall or, you know, the damage to the world comes out. And um, because of that, everybody was focused on the behavior, the behavior, the behavior. And when I I got to really get into supporting him and the the staff and his his mom, his amazing family as well, um, it turned out that we just really needed to listen more to him to support him in in clarifying what was coming next giving him the the ability to get some control over his life i find that behavior and communication overlap when it comes to the need for control help me to know what you want me to do and get through this day and also listen to me because i know some things that i need you know that you you really don't know so it, it goes both ways, but it really comes down to the need for control and how can we we meet that need. So the, the part of his story that I, I want to share is it wasn't until we helped him to understand what we expected that we were able to even get into embracing the idea that he wasn't engaging in these pretty highly aggressive and, and frequent behaviors because he wanted to, he was doing it because his system, his neurological system was becoming so overwhelmed that it thrust him into that kind of meltdown mode. And meltdowns are very complex because they start with the release of chemicals, adrenaline flowing through your body. And before you know it, the body is hijacked by all of these chemicals that are flowing through the body, and, and they've lost the ability to c- control themselves. And it looks like just lashing out, but they're not reasoning at that point. And so we really looked at looking at the behavior differently, looking at the function, and making sure that we were filling all those needs that he had for predictability, routineness, and sameness. Along with that, we then empowered him with more communication supports, even though he was verbal. He did have words, but they were not his strong suit. It was hard. It is hard for him to use his words. So we gave him things like um, like scripts, um, little things like he had pronoun reversals, which is a, a very common thing for a lot of our, our students on the spectrum and otherwise. And so we would write down what he was to say, and it was amazing. He just needed to look down at it and then he could say it appropriately, even though when we were telling him what to say, he couldn't do it with our auditory input. So we shifted the supports to be more visual. We empowered him with choice boards when he did start to escalate instead of tell, tell me what you need or what you want. Just show me what you want right now. And and this was, I guess, the, the moment that I, I want to share with you in punctuating his story, is because when I first started working with him and was trying to put in place things like schedules, transition markers, other thing first then boards, uh, visual countdown timers, all these things that just help him to understand what we expect. Staff was a little reluctant to see or they were reluctant to really put too much energy into those because they didn't see how that was really connected to the behavior. He's just wanting what he wants this is behavior, behavior, behavior. And I said, hold on, let's just put these things in place. And over time, they saw that he was giving us all he could, that he was giving us his best, but with the right supports in place, the behaviors were decreasing. Then we put in place a choice board for when he was starting to escalate, that he could choose and tell us something, but what he needed at that moment. Well, I haven't told you this yet, but his highly preferred. Activity is the computer. Go figure. That's like just rampant these days, right? Right. So he loves a computer, and that was actually the the biggest trigger. Was when he was told it was time to turn the computer off and go do something else. He would have his major aggressive moments, meltdowns, sometimes lasting an hour plus. It, there was really, really oh my, which which is terrible for everybody, but especially for that person going through it. Above all else, yes. So. So we got those down, but then there were moments we had things that we didn't anticipate, you know, or something that we hadn't planned out well, or something that started to go awry. And so the first time that he started to escalate in light of all these strategies, like we have all these things in place and we're still having a rough moment. I said, Okay, well, let's give him a choice board and see what he needs right now to to get out of this. And immediately the staff kind of rolled their eyes at me and said, Oh. We are now going to reinforce his behavior. You're going to give him what he wants. He's going to want the computer and you're never going to get him off. And we've just unraveled everything we've done. And I said, okay, we'll talk about it later, but let's just, can we just try this? And so I presented him with the choice board, even though they were very reluctant, very, you know, oh, she don't know what she's doing, which is true half the time. But anyway, um, so I put it in front of him and of his choices, Mm -hmm. computer was one. But another was uh, going to the sensory room, which was right next door, and another one was, I believe, drawing. And I can't—I think he had three or four. He chose sensory, and staff were just, what? Why isn't he choosing his highly preferred activity? And in that moment, it shifted everything from that. And this was several years ago, of course. It shifted everything in terms of how they, how they interpreted the behavior and how they addressed the behavior, because they saw in that moment, when he was given the choice of his highly preferred activity, he chose a sensory, because he was also very sensory in terms of his needs, in terms of his makeup, and in the sensory room, he could de-escalate, decompress, he had some, um, you know, he had a, a weighted blanket in there, he had a, a ball that he could play with, and he calmed himself down, we set the timer, and he came back, and he did the activity that had been causing him stress prior to the meltdown. He completed it. Yes. So he did not get out of the activity, he did not get his preferred activity, he got what he needed to calm himself down. But without that choice board, he wouldn't have had a way of do that cuz he didn't have the words to tell us even though he's verbal. And so for for me, he he was our biggest teacher. Every person who's ever met him says the same thing. Oh my gosh. He he's taught me, number one, what the disability means. And he's also taught me to have a, a different lens and to really seek to understand in order to be able to to support and to bridge the gaps that we have, not just in giving them information, but in, in helping them give us information. Because that's where the value really comes. And that's when we see a child tell us who they really are.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. That just gives me chills. I'm just enthralled with you and what you know and how you explain it to us i just appreciate you so very much you know your stuff
1: lisa how can we get in touch with you and how do you have a website do i have a website and an email that is connected to the website but i can give you both okay um, my website is www. and it is educating diverse learners Dot org okay educating diverse learners as you mentioned at the beginning is uh, the name of my company mm-hmm. and um, my email address and don't laugh because it's old school it's aol but it is um, lisa rogers and there is no d in rogers so it's l-i-s-a-r-o-g-e-r-s and then EDL for Educating Diverse Learners mm-hmm. at AOL.com. Okay. it served me well all these years. So I figured why change, right?
0: Exactly. I totally agree.
1: <laughs> you know,
0: I could listen to you for another hour or maybe two. You're amazing. All right. Well, let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. We'll have you back. Let's do that. <laughs> all right. I'm ready. Okay. I know you are. Oh, man. Well, this has been so much fun and just so amazing. I've learned so much. I just appreciate you a great deal, and I wish you all the best, and I know that you're out there doing excellent work, and the kids that you work with and the teachers are so fortunate to have you. So thank you so much, Lisa. Well,
1: you've been very kind, Char, and I've really enjoyed not just getting to know you, but having this opportunity to talk to folks out there in the world who are are really doing the same job, doing the same work, and wanting just the same things for our children to be successful in their lives.
0: Yes. Well said. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you, Shar. Bye-bye. Take care.
0: You too. Thank you for listening to The Speech Link. Please check out my other offerings at my website, com, and also speechtherapypd.com. See you next time for more interviews, information, and insights. Until then, thank you so much for all that you do with your speech kids. Be well and God bless.